Well, if you've got your Bibles and, uh, and if you've got your, your Bibles, turn uh, to John's Gospel. Uh, John chapter 2 is the beginning of our journey where we're going to start to teach uh, the seven signs events that take place in John's gospel, that weave together John's gospel on this journey. And where we're going to start this morning for a few minutes, we are going to begin our journey at the wedding of Canaan of Galilee. An amazing miracle takes place in this story where Jesus turns water into wine. Amazing story. Where, where he arrives, and it may seem a little bit strange at first. Now, let me just explain a few things to you as we begin. First of all, John's gospel is very different from the first three of the gospels. Because John's ability, as he's writing the gospel, if you don't know who John is, John was one of the fishermen. He was one of the apostles called to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at this point in the story, there are six of them that have been called so far. And the story will unfold. Of course, the other Gospels take a very much a different approach in terms of the, bio, the biography of the life of Jesus. John wants to make a point. You see, John is writing this Gospel in the beautiful country of Turkey, in the incredible uh, city of Ephesus. And, and he, of course, is the author of John 1, John 2, and John 3. Also of the revelation of John as well. And he is writing to really make a point. And the point he is writing in the context of Turkey, he wants to remind the readers that, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that everything that Jesus came to do is to bring life. Now, I've been to a lot of funerals in my times. Of course, this is a wedding. And I've conducted quite a few uh, um, funerals in my time. And I'm always struck by, by the way that now with PowerPoints and so on, you get to see a picture, a sign of people's lives all the way through. And you go, wow, they did this, they did that. That's an embarrassing photograph. This is amazing. I didn't know that person. Honestly, some funerals, they're just amazing as, as they, but of course they don't capture in one hour the whole life of a person, but you get real key moments that point the person and you, the, the person at the funeral, in the direction. And you see, this is what happens in John. John's objective is to say to you that Jesus Christ is the Lord, he is the Messiah, and he is the one that comes to give life. And this is the first of the seven signs, seven miracles, the seven signposts that take us right direct to the objective of John's gospel. And the objective is simply that we need to know who Jesus Christ really was. We need to know that he is the Son of God. We need to know that he is the Messiah revealed. We need to know that he is the one that came to bring life, to bring justice, to bring salvation into this world. And that's where John is going. And John is talking about life. You know the famous verse, John 10.10. For I've come to give you life and life to the full. It's all about life. It's all about knowing that life. And when we look at this story and understand it, on the third day, a wedding took place in Canaan and Galilee. 
And Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding when the wine was gone. And Jesus, his mother, said to him, they have no more wine. This is a disaster. This is a disaster at any wedding, but it's a real disaster at a Jewish wedding. It's been going for three days. That's interesting, isn't it, that it's been going for three days because the writer, John, is linking it directly to something significant happens on three days. You know the creation story, Genesis, on the third day, God looked and said, this is very good. On the other days, he said, it's good. But on the third day, he said, this is very good of creation. What happened on the third day after the day Jesus Christ died on the cross? On the third day, it was very good. Because on that day, he rose victorious over sin, Satan, and death. And the three is the author is pointing us is that this is the third day. This is a weird day. This is Tuesday in the calendar. I mean, who has a wedding on Tuesday? I mean, if you did, hallelujah. Uh, but we do, you know. Sometimes it's the way it is, particularly in Kelowna, where you can't get anywhere to find a wedding. Um, Willow Park is always available. But when the, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Women, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to their brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheap wine after. The guests have already had too much to drink. But you have saved the best to last. Mm, that could be a, an interesting quote. Um, when Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. There they stayed a few days. What does wine really speak about? How do we start this? Well, in our society, the one thing that we have lost, we've lost a sense of joy. We've lost a sense of deep joy. And if you want to understand this story, first of all, we can remind ourselves this. What Jesus wants to do is he wants to restore the joy that you have lost within your life. You see, we might feel, well, this job was supposed to bring me joy, but it really hasn't brought me joy. I'm supposed to go and get this education, but it really hasn't brought me. And the question is, where has the joy gone? Where's the joy gone in our society? Where's the joy gone in our lives? It's meant to be here. I'm meant to feel this joy. I'm meant, but my life doesn't feel full of joy. There is something wrong. And it very simply, first of all, let me say that what Jesus was doing here, and you'll hear it again, he's, he was re 
restoring joy to a party that had lost its joy. He was restoring joy to a people that were in crisis and they were in shame and there was nowhere to turn. And this is a cultural disaster that has taken place. They have nothing to give. They've run out of wine. And yet Jesus comes and restores joy. Before we get to that, we have to remind ourselves that John starts off with a creation story, but a different kind of creation story. In the beginning was the word, which means logos, and the word logos was with God, and the word logos was God. Now what does this mean? Well, it means that the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, and we have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Fascinating in John's writing in ordinary Greek as he wrote this. And we have a fragment of John's gospel that has been founded and dated to AD 117. Which is amazing, which, which connects it to its authorship. Which was probably around, depending on which scholars you look at, between 75 AD and 95 AD. But in the Greek world, the Greeks were obsessed with something called Logos. The Greeks, like Plato, Aristotle and so on, they believed in a power called Logos. They believed that the world was held together by a force that they called Logos. And your job as a Greek philosopher and as a member of the Greek world was to align yourself with the power of this Logos force, the power and, and this idea. And, and when you did that within the way that you thought, the way that you lived and the way that you thought, because because the world was held together, they believed, by a power called Logos, by a kind of word power, by a, a mysterious force that existed in the ancient world. And their job was to connect with this force. I know it sounds a little bit like Star Wars at the moment. And there's no new thing under the sun, right? But Logos was this, this kind of phrase. It was this Greek philosophy. It was about connecting with this force that held all these things together, John starts his gospel by saying, listen, there is not an invisible force that holds the world together. In the beginning was the word, the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God, and his name is Jesus Christ. In other words, what holds the universe together and what is the center peace to all in the world is the power and the presence and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important. Because what he's doing in his writing, he's flipping the Greek idea over and replacing this invisible force with the name Jesus. And when you have Jesus at the center of your life, your life is flipped over. When you pray in the name of Jesus, things start to change. When you live by the power of Jesus and you believe in Jesus, you become a transformed person because Jesus 
The third person of the Trinity is the one that gives us life, is the one that gives us hope, is the one that gives us a direction for our lives. And never forget Jesus. Jesus and John's gospel is about saying, come on, Jesus is life. If you haven't got joy, if you haven't got life, it's not an invisible force. It is the glory of God that has come amongst us and dwelt amongst us. And that glory of God that has come amongst us is Jesus Christ. He's the one. So when you look at this verse, it says he made his dwelling amongst us. That literally means tabernacle. It means tent. In other words, God moved into our neighborhood, pitched his tent and said, I am now living with you. Isn't that amazing? And he still lives with you right now. He's still with you. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the Lord in the Old Testament was shown, of course, through through the the fire that was there at night with the people of Israel as they traveled through uh, the wilderness, the cloud by day. When they went to Mount Sinai, they were there and the glory of the Lord and the cloud came and they saw God's glory and they were afraid. Then the glory of the Lord was put in a tent called the tabernacle and was carried. Then the glory of the Lord was put in a temple and the glory was there. But of course, the glory left. But then the glory of the Lord returned in a place called Bethlehem when a baby was born and literally God became man to be with us and the glory of the Lord came to the world again. And when we live our lives as believers, we are connecting and understanding that the glory of the Lord is within our lives. You don't just become a Christian and get a bit of religion. You become a Christian and you connect with the power and the glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you connect with Jesus, your world changes. When you connect with Jesus, it's turned upside down. When you connect with Jesus, it is remarkable. The book of John seeks to show us what has been seen. That God's glory, Jesus, dwelt on earth with us. And when you ask the Lord Jesus into your heart, the glory of Jesus now lives within your heart and you are born again. And you are saved. And that can be tough for us when we realize the actual difficulties and pains we face within our lives. Who is us here, we felt as if we've lost our joy. We go through grief. We go through bereavement. We go through difficult times. We go through immense disappointment. We sigh and we breathe deeply. It sounds good to preach, but sometimes it's so difficult to live, isn't it? It's difficult because life is tough. Life is hard. It's difficult because we battle in our lives. But the beautiful thing that God wants to do, he wants to come and take our our empty vessel full of old water and he wants to transform it into new wine. He wants to take your grief and walk with you and feel it with you and be with you and weep with you and cry with you but there will be a time when the tears of that water will be turned into a new wine and you'll understand why. 
He wants to take that disappointment within your life and he wants to be with you and he wants to take the emptiness. He wants to take common water and he wants to turn it into new wine. Jesus loves to partner with us to see something remarkable take place within our lives. And so it's about the glory of the Lord. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs, we're going to go through them, through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. There were six of them at this point. Six is interesting because it's the number of perfection. I don't think it connects with this, but remember that when they bring the jars out, the gallon jars and these to put the water in, there are six of them, in other words, speaking to the fact that what God is going to do through the life of Jesus will bring perfection into the world, will bring cleansing into the world. Because these were ceremonial jars, large that they used for bathing and washing. It's a bit like, we've got no wine. Okay, let's bring the baptism tank, fill it with water and we'll pray over it. And no, let's not bring one. Let's bring six baptism tanks. And let's pray over it. And let's go and look at this. What Jesus did here in Canaan and Galilee was the first of his signs, symbolic events, to show us Jesus is more than a good man, but he is God. And you will always know when false doctrine arises, when it removes Jesus from being the son of being God, part of the triune God, to becoming a good man. A good man. Because lots of people can believe in a good man. But of course, our revelation and the Christian church for 2,000 years has been that he is God, through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. On the third day of the wedding took place in Canaan Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Wine was important. Wine was important because wine in the Old Testament represented joy. It represented hope. It represented so much. You cause the grass to grow for livestock and the plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen the man's heart. What Jesus is trying to do through this first sign is remind us that I am coming to gladden your heart and give you new wine and give you new strength and give you a new way. And I'm giving you eternal wine and this wine will not run dry. And I am giving you new wine because I am giving you a hope of salvation and the power of God's spirit within your life. He's doing that. Isaiah, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has no money, come and buy and eat, come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come, come and buy this, come and receive it. Come and give your life. Come and offer your life, your empty vessel, your clay jar 
with all of your emptiness, with all it, and I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to pour something different into it, and there's a new beginning. There's a new hope. I am coming to make a change. I'm coming to make a difference. On the third day of the wedding took place at Canningale. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding when the wine was gone. Jesus' mother said, they have no more wine. The wine has failed them. Joy is not where it is meant to be. I guess the question to you this morning is, what has failed you? And has it failed you because you've put your trust in it? And you, have you put your trust in the right place where you should trust God in this, in this journey? So Jesus' first miracle was to prove that he is God. That he is there. See, when you look at the whole story, you have four signs. And we'll unpack this, and I don't want to... Um, I could preach for so long on this, but this morning time is running out. But I want to say that there are four signs. You see, what we know is is that sign number one is he turns water into wine and it speaks of an eternal wedding feast that will happen in the age to come when there will be the Lamb's Supper and there will be eternal wine that is served and it speaks to the fact that life is bad here right now but one day there will be a great party that will last forever in the glory of heaven, in the glory of the day when there are new heavens and the new earth and you will have wine and it will be a new beginning and you and I will live forever. You and I. So it speaks exactly to this. It is this sign that says what Jesus is coming to do through the cross and resurrection and through his ascension will affect the reality that you and I are going to the best wedding party you could ever expect to go to. And you've got relatives that have already gone there. You've got friends that are already there. And, and, and we will be there. That is the promise of the Christian faith. We have nothing to fear of death because we die and then we uh, face Jesus face to face. Love it. So that's the first thing we should take from this. The second thing we should remind ourselves is that there was an abundance of wine and it was good wine. It was just abundant. It was just remarkable. And Jesus always wants to partner with us to bring abundance of life into our spiritual journey. And we have that. We have that knowledge, that new wine, that salvation, that new covenant, that new beginning, that we have this within our lives. So so if the first thing is we have eternity coming, if the second thing is We have an abundance of life that he came to set us free, to give us joy, to get us through the darkest times, to be with us. And that is a promise and we need to lean into it. The fourth thing is that he wants to replace old dead religion with a glorious relationship with God. Say, well, how do you say that, Phil? Well, I say it because the large jars that he used were the ceremonial jars for cleansing of religious rites 
So there were these jars used and the ancient Jews loved their, their, their cleansing and their baths and their, their, their waters and so on. And he takes these six items that are used for religious tradition and he takes religious tradition and he carries them over here. They fill them with normal water, which is not like our water, okay? It's like water from a well. It's dirty. It's not good. A lot of people died in those days from water. And in, in Kelowna, we have beautiful water, don't we? Unless you live in East Kelowna. But we have beautiful water. Lovely water. Brilliant water. It's lovely. Black mountain water is my water. It comes from the very height of the mountain and runs directly into my sink. And, and it's wonderful. And it, it tastes wonderful. And visitors come from all over the world and they taste our water. They go, I love your water. Where does it come from? I say, it comes from Black Mountain. Just there. Just comes from there where the glory of the Lord is. And so, so, so takes Israeli water, which was pretty like all of ancient water, was pretty dire. That's why they drank so much wine, because water would kill you. And religion kills you. And then he turns the religion and the ceremony and the death into new life and he creates new wine. So you've got eternity, you've got abundance and you've got relationship with God in this story. And finally, which I think is so beautiful, he takes away the shame of the wedding. They're in shame. They're shamed. And I want to encourage you and I want to say to you that this morning what Jesus Christ comes to do is take away the shame. He comes to your party that has gone a bit dull. He comes to your life where there's no joy. He comes to your dissatisfaction and he comes to your shame and he takes away your shame. He said there's no more shame. Here is new life right now. Here it is. It's for you and God loves you, and God cares for you, and God is interested in you. Well, I think we'll stop there. But, you know, we're going to dive deep, and next week we're going to look at the joy of worship and the joy of life, and how we connect with God through that new wine, that new joy, that new grace that comes in our lives. But we've run a little bit over time, but we, I'm so grateful that you're here and let's stand as we prepare to close. Lovely. Can I ask you now, as we finish, to just come and if you feel comfortable or are able... To go, yeah, here is my vessel. Lord, will you turn my ordinary life, ordinary water, my religious world into new wine right now? Will you come? In these final moments and take my grief, take my shame, take my disappointment, 
Take my anxiety. Take my kids. Take my grandkids. Take my situation. I'll work with you. And as Mary said, do whatever he tells you to do. Lord, I pray that as a congregation, we may do whatever, whatever you tell us to do. Help us to listen to your voice. And meet with us, I ask, in the name of Christ. Amen. Can I remind you that at Pursuit tonight, I'm teaching on the theology of hearing God's voice. And if you want to double dip and come to a second service or a second sermon, you're welcome to. But let's worship for a moment and pause and ask the Lord to refill us with that new wine.